Jeffrey Epstein is dead. The NFL and Jay-Z are kissing in a tree. Did the Patriot Act actually make us safer? We're going to talk market volatility. We're going to talk cryptos. We're going to talk gold. This is episode 32 of Bizarro World. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Mr. Hodge, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Gerardo. Headed back to my home stopping grounds uh, in Maryland very soon with the whole family. So excited to get to that and also excited to talk to you about the markets now that you're back as well. Let's get to it. I'm in a very celebratory mood. It's been a couple of days since our latest mass shooting here in the U.S. Yay! Chalk one up for America, right? It's been a few days. Doing it. Let's do it. Let's get right to the markets. Um, it's been volatile. You made a, a, a pretty prescient call here a couple of months back. You said you were pivoting um, some of your big capital, your retirement capital, if I recall that correctly, um, into cash and away from the major U.S. indices because you saw or foresaw, I should say, a pullback. That has come to pass. Today, the market rallied a bit, but I think overall you've done pretty well. Thoughts on that, Nick? No, the call was right. Um, glad that I made it. Have have thought about putting some of those funds back to work. They are still currently in cash. Wanted to ask you actually some of your thoughts about uh, perhaps some September strength in stocks and a pullback in gold prices, and that might help inform my decision. But um, I, what do I want to talk about? Things are just weird, right? Things are bizarre. We're going to talk. You're going to talk about rates in a second. Germany had a negative rate uh, for the first time ever the last time we spoke, and now the Swedish 20-year bond has gone negative. I personally talked to bankers who I know in the industry who say that um, they're worried. Quite frankly, themselves are worried. Their their management teams are worried. They have cut discretionary travel. They have started to pull back on some of their um, other spending and. Um, this is nothing strange to people who read the things you write. You were writing about the Deutsche Bank restructuring a couple of months ago and how they had to create a bad bank and they were going to lay off, I forget the number, something <laughs> yeah, like 16,000 <laughs> 16, or 18,000 people by 2022. And so um, that is very much you know, percolating down to, to other banks, be it, well, I'm not going to name names, but um, people I've talked to in big banks whose stocks have been affected uh, dramatically um, as rates have gone negative because you know it's tough for banks to make money when when the when the rates are negative and they're making money on spreads and and lending money out and things like that and so I just see uh, a lot of lining up of things that I saw you know the last time we we had a recession and a and a, uh, a financial crisis in 2007 and a lot more writing about it too in mainstream rags like the New York Times deal book briefing, for example, just writing about how the writing is on the wall and the yield curve inversion is here and, you know, stuff that you and I have been talking about for two years. And so now, you know, contrarian me is like, well, fuck, everybody's talking about this shit. So what next? You know, I don't know. I think what next is something that most 20 and 30 year old traders at a trading desk at banks have never experienced before. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to be the Debbie Downer here um, and just repeat what I've basically been saying since the launch of Junior Mining Monthly and Resource Stock Digest, the two publications or the publication that I write for the Outsider Club, the founded by, of course, Mr. Nick Hodge himself um, and the website that I co-own with Mr. Nick Hodge that focuses on 
resource stocks. And when, when, when each of those products were launched, the premise was whether or not the gold bull market is right around the corner, here's what's going to play out um, right before that happens. And it took a couple of extra years um, for it to play out that way. I have a horrible habit of being early on things. Um, the good news is it usually allows me to average down a little bit at a time. And then when it actually plays out, I end up doing pretty well with it. Um, so what I see happening is, again, and this is not going to be new to anybody that reads the stuff that I write or listens to my rants on this podcast, I think Europe is on the verge of blowing up. Um, the ECB just recently said, and this was <laughs> this was a real quote, I'm not making this up, that they had a big bazooka ready for September. Th- th- this is the quality of analysis, and these are the quality, th- this is the quality of the solutions that the European Central Bank is proposing to the market. Um, it is talking to us as it would talk to a child. Um, and that is because there are no grown-up solutions out of the mess that the ECB and the Eurozone is in. You mentioned the Swedish 20-year bond below 0% for the first time, not in five years, not in 10 years, not in 20 years, ever, ever. Negative debt Negative yielding debt around the world, when we started talking about this 30-some episodes ago, 31 episodes ago on this podcast, I believe it was at 13 trillion. That's trillion with a T and an R, not billion with a B and an I. Here we are 32 weeks later, 31 weeks later, it now sits at $17 trillion. And so again, it's just math, people. Let's put you know, partisan politics aside, let's put all that, you know, let, 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 let's, let's forget all of that for just a quick second. There will be plenty of time for that later on in this podcast, but right now it's just math. And again, I'm going to say what I say all the time. The dollar is the cleanest, dirty shirt in the laundry basket. You could hate it. You could poo poo it. All the gold uh, bulls that are out with their pom poms saying, this is it. The death of the dollar is coming back. Listen, the reason that's being played out in the mainstream media again and being rolled out by, frankly, a lot of the advertising people in our industry, Nick, is because it sells. It's proven to sell. There are a lot of 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds that buy that hook, line, and sinker every single time because it's compelling. Because, yes, if you just look at the world through the lens of the United States budget, and the deficit, absolutely, you can see the writing on the wall, right? You can see that we're not going to be solvent in five or 10 years because that's the way it's playing out state by state and as a country. There's just no way that we're going to be able to pay back all of this debt. So if you just look at that debt from a singular view, a US-centric view, absolutely, you make perfect sense. The dollar is doomed. However, we need to look around the world, everybody. We need to look at Europe. We need to look at Japan. We need to look at, you know, a lot of the other things that are in play. This is a global economy. These are global markets. And in a global economy, in a global market, the U.S. is the best looking house on a very, 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 very ugly neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think this pullback in the U.S. indices is temporary. I think volatility is here to stay. Um, I think the market is going to force the Fed to cut at least 25 points in September, if not 50. And if we don't get 50 in September, we're going to get another 25 before the year is out. And then I think the Fed has to stop in 2020 because of the election cycle. So, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that President Trump decided to play nice again with China and the negotiators and said, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, market down 800. I was just kidding on those tariffs. Let's put that off for a little bit. Personal meeting, maybe, right? 
um, that's where we're at. It's 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 there's a there's a whole world of volatility waiting for all of us. A whole lot to unpack there. I got a couple of comments. One, politicians and central bankers always talk down and talk stupid to us. If you analyze the speech used at presidential debates, for example, or in talks given from the Oval Office to the entire country, they are normally at an eighth grade level. Um, do with that information what you will. Uh, the copy that I write to get people to buy my subscriptions is normally at an eighth or ninth grade level. Um, it's what people comprehend. It's easy to read and it sells. Um, what else? That's four There's grade five. levels above my sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Your fancy. There's a little tool in Microsoft Word. You can go in and see like what, what level am I, is this document at through all the words? And yeah, you got to dumb it down, right? Dumb it down. Yeah. Know your know your audience. Um, timing is important. I think that um, the yield curve inversion that we just experienced, although it's a proven indicator of um, of recession and bad things to come, it's a leading indicator. And so those recessions have normally come 18 to 22 months after you just mentioned 2020. So insolvency um, and time and all those things. How long can uh, the Fed stave it off, right? You just mentioned they could cut again over how many months and how big is the ECB's bazooka and things like that. So while the writing is on the, the wall, I'm not sure, you know, when it all comes crashing down. So it's just something to be mindful of. Another thing to be mindful of, I think, um, and I'm just going to rant for a second, is I finally read this, this uh, talk that Stanley Druckenmiller gave in 2015 that was emailed to me like a year ago, and I was yes. digging out my inbox last Friday. Um, a long story why I keep my inbox full, but anyway, we'll talk about that on another episode. So I finally read like this 50-word or this 50-page speech that he gave to a private club in Palm Beach about how he was able to attain a perfect record in the market, never losing, uh, delivering such, you know, a windfall years, if that's a word of, you know, 25 or 30% years and how he got his ideas and how he was able to see markets so clearly. And he basically attributed it uh, to, to cycles, being able to see the economic cycles clearly and most importantly, the rates, right? Was it tight or loose policy and what was that going to affect? Um, so sort of taking a very macro view and then placing bets on that um, where he thought he could place bets, right? And the most famous example, which I did not know, is that um, he was mentored by George Soros. And it was his idea to to do the whole British pound thing. Break back the pound, the absolutely. Yes, sir. And it, but it was Soros who said, hey, boy, you've got these great ideas, but you got no balls. He said, if you're going to do it, you got to bet the house. He said, when you see something, when you get a fat pitch, we can do the baseball analogy, like, you got to swing for the home run. And I forget the exact numbers, but I don't know. Let's say Stanley had 50% of the firm's assets on this bet. And Soros wanted to put like 250% of the firm's assets on the bet. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and it paid off. And so I've been thinking about that as it relates to gold stocks. And as I see um, other newsletter writers and other people that follow the industry on Twitter seemingly be cheerleaders for – Dozens and dozens and dozens of stocks that I've never even heard of. And I'm thinking to myself, you can't be, A, you can't follow that many stocks um, well. Uh, and, and B, you, you, if you don't have any kind of concentrated bets, what kind of returns are you going to have? If, 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 if one of those is a 10 or, or 15 bagger like we're supposed to see in this thing. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about concentration in the context of the fat pitch that you just described that's not – uh, if, but when, and how that 
you got to be concentrated and why we've touched on this in some of these episodes when, you know, you and I struggle to come up with the stock of the week because we just talked about a name we like. It's because at least for, for me, I only own, you know, uh, about a dozen or so names and I like to concentrate those bets. And in fact, I wouldn't mind trimming that down and concentrating even further as, as, as this bull market becomes even clearer and I'm able to narrow down which, in fact, are the, the best assets and the, the stocks that, uh, that are going to produce the best catalyst for the highest returns going forward. And so I think that's the end of my rant. But those are just some things that came to mind uh, while you were talking. No, re- really good points. And, and, and let me let me opine on that. Um, you know, in Junior Mining Monthly, I have about, I, I believe, about 23 open positions of those. I believe five of those, four or five of those are what I call orphan stocks, stocks that I picked right after the 2016 run-up um, where where the precious metal space just turned and, and we got into, frankly, the most brutal bear market in the resource space that people that have been in this for 60 and 70 years have ever seen. So needless to say, a lot of those positions are down 60, 70, and 80%. And I call them orphan stocks because I'm waiting to see if between now and year end, they show any life um, and are able to, to, to get back to doing what they were supposed to be doing, which was exploring, right? The brutal bear market didn't allow for that. If they don't, um, regardless of how ugly it looks, winter will come and they will be tossed out. That's just what that is, which would leave, you know, about 17, 16, 17 open positions, stocks that I can follow every day, stocks that I am in touch routinely with management about the business plan and stocks that are actually moving forward that will do very, very well in this new market. There will be pullbacks, but it's clear as day the direction that that is taken. So I I, I think, you know, to your first point, when you started talking about um, getting my thoughts on, on, on the capital that you have sitting on the sidelines, I think now is the exactly perfect time to actually go and look at what should I sell? Not right now. Summer doldrums, worst time of the year to sell. Great time to buy. If I were in Nick Hodges' position and I had some extra capital and I also had a you know a portfolio of 12, 13 stocks, I would designate three or four of those and say, you got till year end to see what you do. And if you don't do anything meaningful, you're out of here. But I would also start allocating some of the capital um, to some of the companies where the risk reward I mean, (laughs) equation is just so favorable that it doesn't make sense. Companies like Advantage Lithium, despite everything going on in Argentina, Advantage Lithium is an absolute gift at these levels. Chacana Copper, um, you know, is seeing the uh, the downside of a generous um, uh, (laughs) issuance of shares at very cheap prices to founders when that company was thought up. you know, I've I've heard whispers that it, it it's one of those people that is selling the stock down to fifty-two week lows and, and near all time lows. There's absolutely no reason why that stock is trading at twenty-two cents. I would be adding that. You know, and then there's a couple of other names. There's recommendations that I have that I'm waiting on. Um that that I'll keep to myself for now because subscribers deserve that information first. But there's there's a lot of money to be made right now. There's a lot of weakness in the sector despite a robust gold price. Um, and I think, you know, come September, the middle of September, post Labor Day, we're going to see that rebound that we typically get, that seasonal rebound that we get. But I think it will be more pronounced, especially if we have a supportive gold price, anything above 1450 There's a lot of companies you had asked me, I think, two weeks ago if I had started to see some financings yet. And I said it was still tepid at the time. But man, have the floodgates really opened up in the past couple of weeks. And so... Um, 
I just searched private placement in my email. And just it looks like just in the past week, look, it's like Brixton announces closing of seven and a half million dollar finance. Columbus has a million dollar financing. GGX has raises a million dollars. Sabina Gold and Silver, like this and that and this and that. The money is coming out. The EMX royalty. So Defiance closes $3.3 million private placement. Kennedyer. Um, and so the money is not coming back to the sector. And I think the point I wanted to make is, um, yeah, you got to look for those companies who are putting that money to work. But uh, uh, one leg up on that might be the companies who preserve their cash or have cash remaining from the downturn who aren't raising right now, who are putting that money in the ground. And you can expect catalysts without financings and dilution. And so I've been looking for a couple of those names over the past week. Yeah, you know, I think the other thing we're going to see, I think there's a lot of very interesting shell companies out there that are sitting there with four or five, six million dollars in the bank um, that, that, that can likely do very well for themselves by buying companies that have good, good assets. And by good, I mean highly prospective for discoveries um, or assets that have been shelved because of, let's say, the copper copper bear market that we're in due to the trade wars, but that in a better market, we'll see revaluations, many multiples of where they're at now. I think shell companies that are you know sitting there cash heavy and cash rich would do well to merge um, with some of these $2 million market cap companies out in the space that are sitting there with good assets, but just don't have the money to actually do any meaningful work. And um, don't want to dilute in order to be able to carry that work out because that limits the upside. I think I, I, I think there's an opportunity there for you know the the deal makers in the space. Um, so yeah, I, I think you can expect a lot of that in the next couple of months. We just saw one in Magna Gold start trading is has catalysts coming up for um, assets in Mexico. And I had a phone call yesterday. It's funny. I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I shouldn't even say that, but sometimes I, for, I forget because it's been so long. <laughs> Nick Hodge was about to remind everybody that he's world famous, but he stopped himself. <laughs> no, that's not what I was going to say. What I was going to say is that it's been so long waiting for this bull market to come that I forget some of the original investments I made. Oh, so yeah. I don't... I own shares in this private company, a private deal in Peru, a, a silver zinc asset called Alcon, Alcon Silver uh, with the Menorum guys, Daryl Rader. I don't know if you know the company Menorum, mm -hmm. but there's what I was going to say is you're going to see these private assets that have been sitting on the sidelines. You know, the plan was to take that company public in 2016, if you remember the short window in 2016 where everybody got excited and then the, the rug got pulled out from the resource sector once more and it got put back on the shelf. Like, we're not taking this thing public now, no effing way, right? So that was three years ago, I had financed it before that. And it's been sitting in a private company, dead money ever since. Well, what's happens now, they're starting to get calls from shell companies like you just mentioned, hey, mm. you want to put this thing in our shell, let's take it public or whatever. Hey, do we want to take it public ourselves? Silver's now at $17, whatever, whatever. And so those are the sort of phone calls that are definitely happening now. So you're going to see new assets trotted out. And basically, there's work to do. You know, I've been going through my emails the past couple of days and looking at the market. I'm like, shit, man, I got to analyze some stuff that's going down. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like I said, there's a lot of companies, even the public ones, that two, three million dollar market caps that are just absolute bargains and steals. Nickel companies that any kind of momentum will turn into 30 and 35 cent companies. And, you know, a $2 million valuation turning into a $14 million valuation happens relatively quickly in our space. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, a six, 700% win from, from a nickel, right? 
Um, that's pretty exactly substantial. Right. Yeah, if you can establish a, a decent position and, and, and actually get ahead of the curve before everybody figures it all out. So the last point that I want to make is there was an IMF paper, a, a, a recent one. Um, and, and it's one of these long ones where they pretty much tell you what they're going to do for the next five to 10 years, but they make it to where the report is a hundred or 200 pages long and nobody reads through all of it. I'm a nerd with that type of stuff. So I like going through it. Um, and, and, and basically what the paper said, and I'll put a link up to it here, um, for the, for, for the podcast, but it basically said that tools are available to allow central banks to create deep negative rates. This is the new language. Deep negative rates. Remember, two years ago it was a zero percent, right? That 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 was it. Let's see, the march towards zero. Now it's they want to create deep negative rates whenever needed to reverse recessions. They claim that maintaining the power of monetary policy in the future to end recessions within a short time will require deep negative interest rates. Let's unpack that really quick. One presumptuous assholes like <laughs> here is a fucking region that has not been able to stimulate inflation they couldn't stimulate inflation if they had every sex toy available to it they couldn't get some inflation flowing out of the eurozone right so the fact that they believe that deep negative rates is what's gonna be able to turn this around and reverse a recession is laughable the fact that they believe they could do this within a short time um, is, is, should be criminal. The fact that they can even put a paper like this out and, and, and that some people buy into this, um, is, is a whole nother conversation. But I say all that to say, you think that, you know, the, the 20 year bond in Sweden right now falling below 0% for the first time ever is something you think that, you know, the German 10 year, uh, being at 0 0.8, 0.9%, um, is something you wait to see what these fuckers give you here in the next couple of years. Um, it's tick, 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 tick. And you know what happens after that, right? Boom. It's coming. It's coming. So again, that's why the dollar in the next couple of years is going triple digits. The dollar index, believe that. Um, everybody, everybody, when the fed cut and the dollar took a little bit of a, of a hit for the day, everybody was on there, you know, on Twitter and on their, on their, on their services saying, here it is. This is it. This is the undoing of the dollar. Um, it's going to be in a free fall. If it breaks 96.5, you know, the dollar index is, is going back to the eighties. What a crock of shit, man. Come on, people do some, do some critical thinking a little bit, a little bit, you know, just basic level critical thinking. Let's look at the world and let's look at what's happening and let's look at why the dollar is going to get strong. It, it, it's not a hard thing to figure out if you're paying attention to everything, right? Are they going to put the deep negative rates in a, in a bazooka? So deep, so deep, Nick, the deepest, a deep, you're a deep never <laughs> a deep bazooka, the most beautiful bazooka. You've never seen a bazooka like this, Nick. This bazooka, I tell you, this bazooka is going to launch so deep. You're never going to see anything like this again. It's going to be the best bazooka. May perhaps the master of eighth grade level reading and coercion. <laughs> and me with my fourth grade sense of humor. Hey, let's make a podcast yeah. called Bizarro World and rant every fucking Friday, right? I love it. <laughs> can, can we pivot real quick um, and talk Trump? <laughs> the bazooka talk, I'm inspired this. He wants to buy Greenland. Well, hey, like, you know, <laughs> like those before us who negotiated the, you know, Louisiana purchase or the addition, or the addition of Tejas or I don't know, you know, yeah, he's, hey. trying to be, he's trying to be a pioneer. <laughs> On a more serious note, he also got Israel to deny entry to two U.S. senators. That should have been, saw, a big, that should have been a bigger story. It should have been. They reversed on one already. Yeah. Yeah. That's dangerous people. I mean, we, you know, we talked about a month ago about, um, the American citizen, 
of Hispanic ethnicity, Mexican, I believe, um, that was held in a detention center for three weeks, despite the fact that he had two forms of ID on him um, and, and, and could have been verified a U.S. citizen very quickly. And how little the press picked up on that. That wasn't mentioned at all. ASAP Rocky got more fucking press beat in Sweden um, for his situation from President Trump than this poor U.S. citizen guy um, got. And we, you and I were saying that's the type of shit people should be in the streets marching about, right? We should be yep. calling our local politicians. That didn't get any attention. Um you know, now we pivot and here we are a month later after everything that's gone on in this country over the past several weeks. And we have a president that's telling other countries, a president, by the way, that's been accused of meddling and, you know, allowing foreign governments to meddle in our elections. Putting that to the side, he's actively like he's saying this. He's telling other countries, you know, these people don't agree with my policy. My policy affects your policy. And he's leaning on these countries to deny entry to U.S. senators. That is dangerous, America. I don't care if you're a libertarian, a Republican, a Democrat, if you believe in God, if you're an atheist, whatever the fuck you believe. Um, that is dangerous. That's that's this is, you know, McCarthy's McCarthyism back in the 50s and, and the stuff that was going on then. Right. The witch trials. And I, I, I just don't know. I don't know if people don't know their history, if people don't care, if people are so. Um, diluted when it comes to attention spans or 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 maybe i just don't appreciate the amount of outrage that's out there for it i just haven't seen it i think a combination of all that i think people busy in their day-to-day lives you seem living living um hand to mouth paycheck to paycheck not having savings and so when it comes to something as you know perceived removed as that is it doesn't affect their their lives on a day-to-day basis then they're just not interested you know what i mean and so i've often wondered what it's going to take for for people to wisen up and i just think it's a it's a tectonic shift right it's not something that's going to happen overnight we've talked at length about that on this podcast and so 10 more years left in the turning as it were um gives us until 2029 and look we see it happening um slowly and slowly every day hopefully um a waking up of the people but yeah as far as like um running out with you know pitchforks in the street i just i just don't think we're there yet and no that story sort of wasn't in the the news at all at all at all and and that speaks to a point that i know you wanted to touch on all politics being local right no let's talk about yeah. that a little bit yeah 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 so I had this on the list last week. I had went to this meeting for uh, they want to build this neighborhood um, on the county line, Spokane County. I live out in the county and this would be in the Spokane city lines, but abutting right to the county line. And so they had this this meeting about it in a church and they tried to do this um, a year ago. They were going to put I forget how many houses, like 250 houses on this hundred acre spot. And I went to the meeting then last year and that that did you sh- did you shower before you went in the church, Nick? Um, gosh, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> I, I might have flicked a little of the holy water on my neck. There you go. All right, you were safe. <laughs> and so I went last year, and the, the the it was a quite a heated meeting actually with uh, local residents. Sort of, well, they were yelling at the at the developer, and you know, heated words back and forth. But anyway, it's been a year. Uh, a new sign goes up for another community meeting. I go back to the church and it's packed once again, standing room only, hundreds of people in there. Um, and it just, it struck me, you know, the, the saying goes, all politics is local, but how how local it really is, right? So we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of this Spokane neighborhood, but 
Um, you know, it really comes down to who was in that meeting, you know, what, what strings they can pull with local politicians and, 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 and that it's not about, you know, what the Spokane grand vision plan 2014 calls for how many lots per acre you got to put in, which is an established document. It's like, it's not going to come down to that. It's going to come down to the fact that the Gonzaga coach, Mark Few, lives on the road that they want to close down to build the neighborhood, right? And so who's Mark Few going to call? And I was just been thinking about that lately. Like, uh, but that's what it comes down to in, 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 in every town, I think. And I grew up in a small town, uh, 10, 15,000 people and good old boys club, you know, mayor and commissioners and, and all politics is really local. So when you look at things like whatever it is, it's, you know, the abortion laws that we've seen out of Mississippi and, and, and other deep South states or, you know, whatever it is, it's really at, at a local level what it's all about. And so what I wanted to parlay that into was, I talk about the transition that I think we're in as a, a country and, and what a fourth turning looks like and how institutions are rebuilt. And it's because a generation turns and says, hey, enough of that. And they get involved at the local level. And that's what it's really about. Right. Outreach, making a positive impact in your community and changing it at a local level. And that's what builds the, the coalitions and the the. Uh, unleashes the inertia on a national level. So I don't know, just something I've been thinking about that I wanted to, you know, waste some hot air on for a couple of minutes, I guess. Community organizing doesn't seem like such a bad idea now, huh, America? <laughs> just depends on who's doing the organizing, you partisan fucks. <laughs> it's funny, man, when it works one way, nobody likes it. When it goes the other way, depending on people's politics, all of a sudden, it's the thing to do. And that, that goes back to the thing that we've been saying for a long time, right? It's time to start voting on ideas. It's time to vet candidates that are actually voting um, your interests. And it's time to, to, to really get away from, in my opinion anyway, um, you know, just being slaves to either one party or the other. Um, I know you lean libertarian, as do I. And so it's probably easier for us to see it and say it. I can't imagine what it would be like if I was if I was a, a, a 30, 40, 50 year old, you know, Democrat, Republican lifelong that just, you know, voted the party line every time. But um, that way of thinking is what got us in the situation, everybody. Hate to break it to you. So we're going to have to do something different. And, and I absolutely agree with your point. I joked about the community community organizing thing, but I'm absolutely serious about that. I think that is the way that change happens. It's 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 one neighborhood at a time, one community meeting at a time. Um, you know, I, I, I think on a more serious note, the way the community in El Paso um, came together um, to honor the victims of that horrific um, massacre out there was just absolutely beautiful. I think it speaks to why that city is one of the safest cities in the country, despite being 82% Hispanic, large immigrant population, being a border town. Um, worth mentioning that the little asshole that shot everybody and murdered everybody drove about seven or eight hours, I believe, to be able to do it. Um, it came from outside, but you know, it, 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 it reminded me, seeing people come together that way reminded me of the power of a strong community. And, and, and you know, El Paso is not, 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 not insignificant. It's not a tiny town, but there's clearly a culture there. And I don't mean the Hispanic culture. I mean a culture as in the environment that encourages community relations, that encourages support. Um, you know, the way people were lined up at the blood bank to donate blood was the first thing that they did. Um, and people were, there were lines that were hours, hours long. Um, it was beautiful. It, 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 it's horrible. It had to happen. Um, 
but you know, if there's any anything good that came out of that was just seeing, you know, how the how the cities responded and you know, hopefully it's a it's a hopefully it's a preview of what we can do across the country without the tragedy attached to it, right? Coming together, being good neighbors, treating each other well, um, supporting each other, disagreeing but doing it respectfully in a nonviolent way. Um, all that is good, right? That's right. All right. What else we got, Nick? Demolition Man. There's, there's a lot of stuff left to talk about. We still haven't got to Epstein. Let's do Epstein, and then I'll talk about Demolition Man. Epstein is great because it just broke. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, the medical examiner wants to live. Nick, did you see it? No, I saw about his <laughs> the neck, the, the, the neck bones were broken. What did I miss? Oh no, no. So it just broke like literally ten minutes ago. Here, this is Friday, about three forty Austin time. Everybody, um, the medical examiner wants to live. He just ruled Epstein's death a suicide by hanging, refuting any conspiracy theories about a murder. Let me go with the official line and say that the medical examiner is correct that Mr. Epstein hung himself. These are the facts that cannot be refuted. Two of the people that were supposed to be correctional officers um, watching over Mr. Epstein weren't even full-fledged, two of the people on staff that day weren't even full-fledged COs. That's one. Two, supposedly the correctional officers that were supposed to check on him every 30 minutes because he had already tried killing himself supposedly a week or two ago weren't checking up on him every half hour. They were taking naps, supposedly. Honestly. Of course. And not only were they taking naps, but they were falsifying the logs. So I'm supposed to believe that a guy that had just tried to kill himself a couple weeks ago was allowed sheets. Um, guards were falling asleep, falsifying logs, and he was provided everything he needed to kill himself. Yeah, I, I, I actually do believe that. I, I do believe that's what happened at the instruction of some very powerful people um, that, that, that were told, hey, Mr. Epstein, it's time for you to die. Because if you don't die, these people die. Correctional officer fuckos, you two aren't going to go in there for a couple of hours. Why? Because I'm telling you so. So do what you have to do to clean that up. Um, and you know, all's well that ends well. Billionaires will keep raping and fucking and molesting and doing all the nasty shit they were doing because now there's nobody to tell, right? Except for the victims, and I hope they do tell. It all lines up a bit too well. The camera was not working or malfunctioned. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I, I mean, with a case as high profile as that, I mean, it's like, it's just laughable. And, it, you know, everybody took it as, as such. You know, this used to be, when I started in the financial newsletter business, you know, if you talked about stuff like this, it was like tinfoil hat stuff, right? Like Council on Foreign Relations and Illuminati. And you couldn't talk about it like, Jekyll Island and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, you know, this news breaks and it's like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a conspiracy. We all knew it from, you know, it's like everybody just knows and, and, and accepts it. And it's like, yeah, that's totally what it was. And so I don't know what else I can add at this point because everyone knows what it is. Everyone knows what it is. My only hope, because there were a lot of victims, um, is that these victims are able to, to find a platform and outlet a channel, um, to out all of the people that were doing all of this sick stuff with Jeffrey Epstein because it wasn't just him. And again, I don't care who it was. I don't care what political party it is. I don't care male, female. You know, it's it's been it's been long rumored that his girlfriend um, was the facilitator per se, was the one that was you know procuring these young girls and getting them out there and flying them in and flying them out and setting it all up. Um, she should see her day in court at the very least. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm really curious to see what happens 
um, with this investigation now. There's a lot, a lot of evidence. There's hard drives. Um, they've been to his various homes all over the world. There's a lot of people still alive that can say a lot of things. It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's always interesting. It's sad to see it go that way. Sad to see him not get justice. Um, sad for the victims. Sad for the the people that will um, not have their uh, stories put into light because of it. Keeping it to government. Do we want to talk about the Patriot Act and how America I do. uses every fucking tragedy to fuck its own citizens? Yeah, and then I'll still get the demolition man for you. I might be able to tie tie the two together. Yeah, so you, know, you guys like... remember the Patriot Act, right? I mean, you remember the Patriot Act after um, the attacks in, in New York in, in 2001. And so this is what allowed all the spying and the, the collection of uh, metadata and listening to calls and NSA and Snowden. Is any of this ringing a bell for anybody? Is anybody out there? Is anybody out there? And the militarization of police where we gave them MRAP vehicles and um, you know, military style weapons. And we, we started sending SWAT teams out for like 300% more often than we did before 9-11. And, um, now there's just a shooting every couple of days. And I'm wondering how the fuck did any of that make us safer? That's all. That's all I'm wondering. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody's saying this guy's data should have been hoovered up and the NSA should have called it. Like, why didn't we know he was buying the bullets? How do we not get him in this chat room? How do we not get him on? 8chan or 4chan or whatever the fuck that thing is called like did any of that shit work like what the fuck has it prevented you gave up your you gave up your freedom and your privacy for what yeah i i don't think any of that was meant to do any of those things that's why that hasn't happened i absolutely believe if they wanted to analyze the data of child pornography and these sick fucks in these fucking chat rooms i don't care how anonymous it is like uh, they they could do away with that very very quickly um i i, I don't believe there's enough of an interest there um, to use the Patriot Act for that. I think I, I, I think it was, you know, done for other reasons. And, and that's a whole long conversation. But I agree with you 100 um, percent that yeah. it just boggles my mind how we sift so much data and we gave the government so much power to keep us safer. And yet all these domestic terrorist guys slip through the cracks. Like, what is that? Is that just inept government? Like, I mean, of course that's what it is because that's what it is. But like, I mean, to, to, to make that trade is as Snowden and so many other people warned you, like even back in the day you were warned by, by people about trading Liberty, you know, like Ben Franklin and even other people. So it's like, you know, you, you totally traded your, your liberty for safety and you didn't get that much safety. And that's all I wanted to say just to get it off my chest. And then speaking of safety, I can do the demolition man thing because before um, you do the demolition you man the thing, demo though, let, 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 let me cut in really quick before you do the demolition man thing, because this is, this is, this just popped to mind, but this is what's happened. This is what they've used the Patriot Act for. You remember Eric Gardner, right? Gentleman that was selling loose cigarettes in New York, got choked out by a bunch of cops with an illegal chokehold. Nothing happened to anybody. In that scenario, other than two people, do you know who the two people are? One, of course, being Mr. Gardner. The guy who, fil the guy who filmed it. Who's Exa dead. Exactly. <laughs> the only two people something happened to are the guy who died and the guy who filmed it. Do you want to share with the people what it is that happened? I, you probably, I just know he's dead. He was uh, harassed and there was seemingly a campaign uh, put on against him by the NYPD. You probably have more details than I do. So the, the guy who filmed 
Eric Garner. Um, actually, I don't believe he's dead. He, <laughs> they used his phone records and, and again, this Patriot Act, which allowed them to do it. Um, they, uh, they used all that to listen to this guy and they executed a raid on his house. And then they claimed, um, that he possessed a handgun and that he was selling heroin to an undercover policeman. Um, and so, you know, what was he doing wrong things? Yes. Shouldn't be fucking selling heroin first off to anybody, right? Um, you deserve to go to prison for that. But my point is when the government wants to target somebody for something, the Patriot Act provided all the tools to be able to do it. So when I see a certain part, a certain type of crime or certain types of crimes like rape, like human trafficking, like um, you know, human smuggling. Um, I, I, I could go on and on, right? Police related shootings, um, <laughs> all, all sorts of stuff. When I see all that, none of that domestic terrorism, none of that followed up on the way that it should be. It's not for lack of tools. It's for lack of interest. And, and that's all I wanted to say on that, because out of that whole thing, the only person that got in trouble was the guy who filmed it for, for, You're for correct. putting he, it out there. He's in prison. He's not deceased. I'm sorry. There you go. Either way, he, you know, they fucked his life up, right? And and I'm sure, again, he did some of it himself, but he only became a target because of what he did. Um, and that, that, that that's America right now, everybody. Very, very interesting. It also ties into this gun debate with these red flag laws, right? Like, mm. um, I've been reading about this week, like, how, how do you get a, a red flag law? Like, once it's enacted, like, what is the, the threshold or what is the bar proof for me to call and say, hey, this person's acting hot-headed or has been erratic we should go take their weapons right where's uh you know the division there and, and what's that framework look like and how are people's uh rights affected and, and things like that and so those are things that i'm always thinking about and, and i don't know if our listeners are always thinking about but anyway uh stuff to think about yeah 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 and, and we'll, let, let, we've had that discussion a little bit before we'll we'll have it again i'm sure i'm sure we'll have to <laughs> um uh, uh, about smarter gun control in this country i'm off of the second amendment i think the way we do it is stupid i think the way we 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 the lack of vetting is stupid i think the lack of uniform laws is stupid um but we'll talk about that another time uh let's talk about happier things let's talk about demolition man <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not really happy. So ah, damn it! <laughs> I, I can I could use that as a perfect transition. So in Washington State, they passed a law uh, last year. I think it was that you got to have your um, firearms in a safe, and if you don't, um, and someone breaks into your house and, and steals your firearm, and it's used in a subsequent crime, that you can be held accountable if your firearm wasn't locked up in your home. And so um, that doesn't really have anything to do with a demolition man, other than this. I went out and bought a safe that is electronic it is um you know biometric that's right ah. biometric that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about biometrics so i have to swipe my finger over top of the gun safe to get it to open up it is plugged into things right um and so i was reading this week about this biometric database hack that occurred do you remember the movie demolition man from the 90s it was sylvester stallone and wesley snipes it was supposed to place take place far in the future sort of like maybe where we're at right about now <laughs> I, I thought the um, most important person in that was sandra bullock because i love sandra bullock sandra bullock was awesome in that movie He's very awesome so. in everything but i digress <laughs> Very good movie. One of my favorites when I was growing up and it had this um, vision of the, of, a, of the future where you use things like biometrics yep. to open 
uh, doors and safes. And so the prisoner that escaped in that movie, Wesley Snipes, he ends up taking out um, a prison guard's eyeball with a, a pen yep. and holds the eyeball on the end of a pen. You remember this yep, scene, right? I, I do. hold it up in front of the lock so he can uh, open the door. And um, so flash forward, here we are in 2019, and I was reading about this biometric database hack, and it says that, and I'm going to read it to you here because I'm going to fuck something up if I do, if I do it. But um, basically it was saying that so much data was hacked in this thing um, that people could reproduce um, the necessary uh, physical attributes to open important things, um, whether that's databases or brick and mortar uh, facilities. Uh, what I'm saying is they stole the data needed to reproduce what someone's retina looked like or what someone's fingerprint looked like, and then they could reproduce it just with the data. They don't need the actual fingerprint. Does that make sense? What in the world? It, <laughs> it, took, it took me a second to sort of wrap my head around it. But like when I scan my fingerprint on top of the gun safe, it's not like, oh, that's Nick's fingerprint. It's like a series of ones and zeros that matches up that tells the device that that's my fingerprint, right? Right. I'm making sense? Yep. Because it took a second for me to wrap my head around this whole thing. And so here's what happened. Researchers found that the Biostar 2's database was unprotected and unencrypted, granting the security analysts access to 27.8 million records and 23 gigabytes worth of data. So what the Biostar 2 is, is a biometric lock system that... Um, had it protects things that secure entrances to office buildings and warehouses, for example, uh, that use facial recognition or fingerprints um, of their employees to get in. And so um, you can just hack that data and reproduce it. And this was just like a mind blown moment for me. I was like, Jesus Christ, it is like we're, we're in a brand new world. And so um, just something to be mindful of, something that I found fascinating. You know, you hear about these data hacks all the time where your social security number is leaked or your one, two, three ABC password got leaked or whatever it was. But this is like a whole nother level, right? Did you see, and this kind of ties into it a little bit. Did you see the Bill Hatter deep fake video? I mean, I've I've seen deep fake videos, you know, of politicians and other things. I'm not sure I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Oh, okay, so this one morphed uh, Bill Hatter, and I may be butchering his name, into Tom Cruise and Seth Rogen back and forth. I'll put a link up to it. Um, it's pretty scary stuff. If you take, and this is my 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 <laughs> random brain here, you're <laughs> thinking of random things, but if you took what you just said, right? And mix that up with a doctored video like this video was. And again, we'll put the link up for it. Um, I could superimpose you going into anywhere and then say, look, here's Nick. Here's his face. And there's his fingerprint opening it. He did guilty. Guilty. Done forever. Same. Or how about, um, I don't know, a military general giving orders to bomb a certain city that's not really a military general. Yes, for sure. It's scary. Stuff like that it's, is dangerous. It's scary fucking times, everybody. It, 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 hey. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ugly stuff, scary stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't have. I mean, I can't believe there's not legislation around this, right? Uh, for all the lawyers we have in Congress, they can't come up with one or two laws around this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm up on that side of it, and I'm not sure how smart Congress is. <laughs> That's a whole another podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you have anything that'll make me smile? Because that just scared me more. Yes, two things. One, um, where the algorithms can be used for bad, as we just learned, and they can be used for very, very good. And all too often, it seems they're used more for the former than the latter. But this week, we used algorithms for good. The city of Boston held a contest um, to see if uh, somebody could come up with a plan for their uh, school buses to reduce costs because apparently that city is so old and not efficiently planned, the streets so narrow and the neighborhood so crooked that um, they were spending like $2,000 per kid in Boston per year to bus them to and from school, which was like way, way, way higher than the national average. So they were looking for a solution. Long story short, MIT comes up with the winning uh, algorithm to help them fix this problem and ended up saving something like $5 million a year in busing costs, 20,000 uh, tons of carbon emissions, X amount of hours. I forget that number off the top of my head, but just by optimize, oh, they were able to take like 50 buses off the roads total, just like not even use 50 of the buses just by using, um, you know, machine learning and algorithms and data to optimize the bus routes. So go MIT and go Boston and go science. I and love all of that. That is awesome. The, the last thing to make you smile. Um, I don't know how I missed it yesterday, but today I saw there was a, a big commercial uh, jet crash in, in Russia yesterday and everybody survived something like, I forget the number, 225 or 227 people. The pilot was able to, they hit a flock of birds taken off and the pilot was able to glide it down into the middle of a cornfield and everybody lived. So that's pretty uplifting. Awesome. I got a happy story and this is something that's local and this is um, actually using laws and law enforcement for a good cause. Um, there is a genu gentleman by the name of Samuel Allen here in Austin um, who has autism. And so what he's been doing is he's been working um, on a new law with law enforcement to work on making the process of being pulled over, if that happens, um, a whole lot less terrifying than it otherwise would likely be for somebody that has a communication impediment. And so... Now what will happen here in Austin, and this goes, uh, this will be effective September the 1st, is a driver will have the option when they register their vehicle to say, hey, I have a communication impediment and here's, here, here's my doctor's note for it and it'll go directly into the system. So now anytime a police officer pulls somebody over that has you know autism, for example, it'll automatically pop up in the database there that, hey approach the vehicle maybe in a way that's not so aggressive so you don't scare the living daylights out of these people um, and, and end up escalating a situation that should not be escalated. We know that a lot of the recent, and by recent, I mean the last three to five years, um, shootings of unarmed young men, mostly of color in this country, many of those young men have had some form of learning or communication impediment, right? And so 
I, you know, not to say that that would have made those situations different because there were other factors at play, but you know, this can't be a bad thing. Right. And, and, and so instead of having a, a handicap sticker or something on your license plate that would alert everybody to your situation and, and make you feel uncomfortable if, if, if you had autism, um, this would just be in the database. And so nobody will be able to know other than the law enforcement officer that pulls you over and the DMV, it'll be in there. I thought that was neat. I thought it was creative. I thought it's thinking outside the box. And it's a great example of just your everyday citizen working with his mom in conjunction with law enforcement to pass a law that was easy to pass, cost nothing, um, and is very efficient and hopefully will prevent some tragedies, right? Very cool. I hope the police are receptive. It sounds like a very good idea. Agreed. Agreed. It should be effective September the 1st of this year. There it is. Very soon. Like it. Anything else you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about the NFL and Jay-Z partnership. I'm going to put that off until next week um, because I think we've covered a lot today. Um, did you want to talk about FedEx no longer delivering for Amazon? I think in, 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 in these interesting times with the U.S. indices and Amazon and, and FedEx, of course, being two giants of those, um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, there's so much news that comes at us and then so many deals with mergers and acquisitions these days that a lot of times it gets drowned out. But a story a couple of weeks ago was that um, FedEx is no longer going to be delivering your Amazon package. They were already not doing it in the air, but now they're not going to do it on the ground either because, as FedEx put it, they are viewing Amazon as their direct competitor as Amazon makes further inroads into uh, becoming its own logistics and delivery company by uh, buying planes and a fleet of Mercedes vans and hiring their own drivers uh, to deliver in the last mile and things like that. And so FedEx said, you know what? Um, enough. Uh, a couple of points. Uh, one, they think that FedEx thinks that uh, they don't need Amazon. They say that while Amazon had a big head start in this whole um, e-commerce and, and home delivery thing and is clearly the leader now that um, other retailers are wise to it and are quickly catching up shops like uh, Walmart and, and Target and others um, desperately want to be in the home delivery game and are and are catching up and are gaining market share. And FedEx says that by serving those other outfits, Target and Walmart, et cetera, they can uh, make up the business that they uh, would have lost, that they're losing with Amazon. And I just thought that's that's a pretty fundamental shift in 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 just our lives really and how we've come to order things from toothpaste to soap to baby bottles to whatever it is you buy on Amazon. And so, and just the, the, the sheer impact Amazon has had on our lives from Amazon web services to prime to video, to putting, you know, Barnes and Noble out of and borders out of business to making the world's richest man. It goes on and on and on. And now we're seeing that shift in a very fundamental way. And I just thought that's indicative of, or a microcosm of things that are going on globally and just wanted to bring it up quickly. So FedEx will no longer be delivering the big bazooka that's going to stimulate all this inflation in Europe, huh? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Draghi's got to look elsewhere. Ah, that's great. It's uh, it, it, it wouldn't be it would be funnier if it wasn't so tragic. But I know you guys all probably think we're crazy. Let's uh, let's check back in in a couple of years, guys. It's not going to end well out there, but. Um, it is what it is. It is what it is. Nick, any fun plans for the weekend? I know that uh, I believe you'll be um, back in your hometown next week. Is that accurate? That's right. Headed back to Maryland. And so 
traveling eight hours with three kids under three. I think we're just mentally and physically preparing for that this weekend. I like it. I'll share a personal story. I've been traveling with my boys since they were young. They're older now, um, and it's paid off in spades. We, we make the annual trip to Chicago every year. We always drive it. We like to drive across the country and, and you know, take in all the historical stuff. And, it, it you know, the first uh, few years were, were tough. <laughs> um, but, you know, after, after, after they turn five and six, Man, I, they're pros now. You know, we we do. It, it's about twenty two hours total in driving, right? We drive to Memphis, we spend the night, we wake up, we 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 head out, and we get back at it. So, but maybe if you make it an annual thing, it'll 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 be a good way to uh, interact with them on the road and teach them some things and teach them about the country. And it, it's neat. We enjoy it. That's for sure. We're going to try, as you well know, uh, our oldest, who was only three, was, <laughs> was born a traveler. And, yep. <laughs> um, so she has had quite a few flights under her belt already. And the youngest one, uh, Nick, who's named after me, is only four months old. So this will be his first endeavor. Um, but we certainly uh, plan to, to do it frequently to get them used to it and all that stuff. But the first one with all three of them. So we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Well, best of luck your way, Nick. Have a great trip. This is Gerardo Del Real, my co-host, Nick Hodge. This was episode 32 of Bizarro World. Have a great week, everybody. Be nice to each other. Love each other. Do something nice for a neighbor. Don't be an asshole. See ya.